Amazing. It's Mocrito, no regrets. How many of you are just wondering why we spelled it wrong? It, it is on purpose. He meant to say no regrets, but anyways, uh, in tattoo form forever, regrets. Wonderful. We, we did this sermon series about five years ago, and Bethany and I were praying about what series to do, and we were like, we got to bring it back. It's too good. I just have to watch the video. Now, I don't want to make you feel guilty, but you realize we all laugh at people getting hurt and falling down, you know? It's sort of in us as people. Um, the guy sawing the branch, I just, it's so good, you know? <clears throat> have you ever done something in your life that you immediately regretted? Was that this week or another time? I was in Bible college. That's not what I regret. I'm going to tell you a story about it. I was in Bible college and uh, I was actually in Bible college with Aaron Martinez, my good friend, and that's Kayla Dale's brother, if you didn't know that, but he's our Joy Church Grants past pastor. And Aaron and I grew up together, doing a bunch of shenanigans together, and we were in Bible college together. And at our Bible college, we had to do fundraising. And so one of the, the uh, uh, leaders had decided it would be a good idea for us Bible college students to sell Christmas tree wreaths one Christmas about this time of the year and try to raise funds for the Bible college and pay for tuition and all that. And so we had all these Christmas tree wreaths that he had purchased, our leader, and that we, the, the humble Bible college students were meant to go out and shill to the unsuspecting masses of Southern Oregon. And so we were going door to door selling Christmas tree wreaths and the market was, let's just say, ice cold. Uh, not a lot of wreaths sold. I think we might maybe lost a few thousand dollars for the Bible college in this fundraiser. One, one afternoon, I think it was a Monday if I recall, Aaron and I loaded into my dad's 1987 Suburban and we filled it with Christmas tree wreaths and we went about our merry way, going door to door and we're goofing off, talking, just whatever, having a good time. And we didn't sell any wreaths. A couple hours later, we pull into this kind of uh, dead end road with a gravel parking lot or a gravel area turnaround at the end. And Aaron's like, dude, do a Brody. And I was like, I don't, I didn't know what a Brody was. Um, and so I was like, oh yeah, totally, I would. What does what your Brody that you like to do look like? <laughs> He's like, yeah, so what you do is you hit the gas and then you hit the brakes and you turn the wheel and you kind of like, you know, go around. And I, I don't know if that's a Brody, that's just what I was told. That's how I was discipled as a, by my bro. So I, I do it. And I actually think for a first time Brody or it was decent, you know, and we did a little, whatever. Suburban only does so much, you know what I mean? It's, it's a massive vehicle. So we, we heard kind of a little bit of a thump or something in the back seat, the back of the vehicle, you know, and didn't think that much about it. We go to our next street and we open up the Suburban. It had those doors that open like this. And so we open the doors and all of a sudden this flow of this golden amber liquid, very thick, very fragrant, starts pouring, not, not dripping, pouring out of the back of the Suburban. And unbeknownst to me, my dad had stored his turkey frying apparatus in the back of the Suburban with a five gallon jug of peanut oil, which is, you, get, you know what it is. If you smell it, I mean, it smells like peanuts or whatever. It smells like peanut oil. And this thing just saturated the back of the car and was pouring out. And we, and we were like, oh no. And so we had to drive back to the church and there's nothing you can do. I mean, the car is just filled with peanut oil and it doesn't come out. I mean, you can't do anything. And so we go back to the church and my dad was actually in staff meeting with the Joy Medford church staff at the time. So here I am as a Bible college student and my cowardly friend abandoned me in my moment of need. How many of you know that Jesus is the only friend that sticks closer than a brother? Because your actual brother's gonna run when you're in trouble. 
And so I go in and I'm like, dad, I just need to talk to you. And he's like, you can say it in front of everyone. <laughs> so I had to confess to the entire Joy Church Medford staff that I had done a Brody. <laughs> Do you know, there's really no refined way to say the word Brody when you're trying to explain, you know. Father, I was uh, attempting to do an uh, acrobatic stunt in your car, uh, otherwise known as a Brody. Anyways, I had to clean that out. It's been, it's, I spent probably six hours on Saturday scrubbing oil out of the fabric of the back of this Suburban. It never came out. I mean, it always had that distinct odor. And I, my dad actually ended up giving that vehicle to another guy in the church. And a couple years later, I went for a ride with him and I could just smell that peanut oil. <laughs> I didn't say anything, you know, I just enjoyed the anointing oil in that, that vehicle. Uh, that's, a, that's something I regret, you know. It's a funny story, but actually I don't really regret that as much as some of the other things in my life when I've hurt people, uh, when I've uh, been unkind or betrayed someone. Um, how many of you know there's funny stories of things we go, oh, I shouldn't have done that, like some of the stuff you see on the video. And then there's actually the stuff that's more important, like relationships that we've broken or times when we've dishonored the Lord in our, our life. Um, and many of us are walking around carrying some of the wounds of that, which, you know, thank you for the, thank God for his grace and mercy. Amen. Amen. But I think back in my life about times when I've, I've not done the right thing. You know, there was a, a time when I was a, a preteen, probably 10 or 11 years old. And we used to pick up this, this guy named Kevin, this young guy, he was my age. And, uh, my dad had prayed for him when he was a baby, uh, to be healed. And, and they called him a miracle baby because he wasn't supposed to live, but he, he lived, he, he lived in a really bad part of town. His mom, I think, was a, a dr uh, drug addict. And so we had permission to pick him up for church. So my parents would drive every Sunday. We'd pick him up for church. And um, I was really teased and bullied as a kid, uh, probably because I was in a church full of Husky fans, I guess, is all I can really think about. Just rotten people. But anyways, um, all, all joking aside, I, I kind of was insecure and I had some, I kind of got teased. And so one week I saw some of the other kids were teasing Kevin and, and not being very nice. And so I was able to sort of fit in with them by, by criticizing him and, and teasing him. And, and I could see even as a child, 10 or 11 years old, I knew what I was doing. And, and I, uh, I saw that, that it hurt him. And he came a couple more times, but then he just stopped coming. We didn't, he didn't ask to be picked up anymore. A couple years later, I didn't think of it that much at the time, but a couple years later when I really had an encounter with God and God was shifting some things in my life and I was repenting, and just coming to know God in a, in a real way as a teenager, he brought Kevin's face back to my mind. And that was part of my repentance was realizing God wanted me to change the, how I use my words and how I related to people and not hurt people with my words, but be somebody that helped people with my words, which I do now, hopefully. And it was really convicting to me. And I, I pray for him a lot. I don't know whether he loves Jesus. I don't know where he's at. I don't know if he's doing good or bad. I don't know, but I regret being unkind because I got to fit in for a few hours with some people that were being jerks, uh, it wasn't worth it. And I look back at that and I go, ooh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Um, today I wanna to talk about how to regret proof your life. You know, I don't think that on this side of eternity we're ever gonna be perfect and, and never have any regrets, but I think there's a way to walk in the wisdom of the Lord that allows us to walk with God and actually be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven and bring good to the people around us where we don't have to live in this constancy of regret of our decisions and actions, where we aren't slaves to sin, but rather we're walking in the righteousness and the peace of God and the word of God and the wisdom of God that we actually can make a difference around us. 
It's interesting to me that in our culture, even though we live in a very immoral culture, even an amoral culture, people still, even those that are not Christians, expect Christians to kind of be better than everyone else. Well, why is that? Because there is something about the Christian faith that says, if I'm coming to know God, there should be something in me that's actually improving, right? And I think we don't live in, as legalists and we don't live as, as thinking we earn our salvation through good behavior and good deeds, but there is something in the heart of a child of God that longs to walk in the wisdom of the Father and say, I don't want to live a life where I'm making decisions every day that I have to regret, but rather I want to invest my life in something that's meaningful and valuable and actually helps the world around me. And so we're going to talk about that today. Do you know that smart people do dumb things all the time? Amen? You know, because having intelligence and even knowing what's right is not everything. Wisdom is the ability to righteously apply knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to say, being smart and knowing the answers to a math test is not the same thing as living a holistically good life like relating to, to people in the way God would have me relate. Uh, and so very smart people do very dumb things all the time. One of the things that I'm coming to grips with right now in my reading and study and just as the Lord's working in me is that I am very much more, uh, and, I think, and I think you're the same way, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but we're very much more emotional and heart-driven people than we are intellectual beings in that we can grasp what is true and right and good, but what our heart wants, we ultimately do right? Just kind of as a matter of course. That you can know the right answers, but that's not enough. There's something about from the heart, like the scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think you could say out of the abundance of the heart, our feet move and our hands move. Like we are animated by what is actually on the inside of us. And so just knowing things and having knowledge about God and even knowing the right, what's right and wrong is not enough. We need, to, we need to tap into the wisdom of God, which is the ability to live out and righteously apply uh, what we know. So let's jump into the scripture. Proverbs chapter 9. This is an incredible proverb, verse 10. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Right now, if you want to enjoy a life of wisdom and the fruits of wisdom, which we're going to talk about in a minute, it all starts with this thing we call the fear of the Lord. Now, fear of the Lord, I would define this way. It is a recognition of the reality and the prominence or preeminence of God above all things. It is understanding there is a God and I'm not him. And there is a God who sits on the throne of the universe. There is a God who is the creator. He is the, uh, the owner of everything. He is the uh, righteous judge. He's the one that sets the rules. I don't get to just pick and choose what is right and wrong. Why is that? Why do I not get to pick and choose? Because I'm not God. And it's interesting when you study uh, atheism, I read a book in Bible college called The Immoral Atheist. And if you study this out, oftentimes what you'll find at the root of atheism is not an intellectual disagreement with the existence of God, but rather a moral issue, typically sexual. So usually what it is, is you can't tell me who I can have sex with or when or how or, or what or why or whatever. You can't talk to me about that. Therefore, there is no God. And I'll create this elaborate thing to say, well, over here is why I really don't believe in God. And what it actually comes down to is I want to do what I want to do when I want to. And really what I am is more of a naughty, spoiled brat who's making things up and openly denying and, 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 and believing really sort of silly things like that the universe just sort of into existence. When even like normal people, just simple people, just simple kind of common sense says, hmm, things don't come from nothing. 
Even Greek philosophers, they, thousands of years ago, before all of the incredible scientific breakthroughs that we've had in the, in the past centuries, they were able to say, at the beginning of all physical causation, there must have been an uncaused cause. There must have been a domino, an unmoved mover. The first domino that fell couldn't have been from the natural universe. It had to be a non-physical thing. So they posited, even out of their just intellect, that there was a non-physical cause of all things physical. In other words, there's a spirit at the beginning of the universe, which I guess is what the Bible says, really, that in the beginning, God, he sort of appears on the scene and he's unexplained. And we can talk about that in another message, but here's the thing. If you don't believe there's a God sitting on the throne who's in charge, who's in control, you're never going to be wise because the foundation is recognizing the reality of God and his preeminence above all things. The smartest person in the world is not wise without humility because if, you, if, you, if you're thinking, you know, I am the center of the universe or there's something else and it's not God, you never get to this place of wisdom. And so fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom and everything good that comes from wisdom is built on that foundation. The, the, the writer of Proverbs goes on, they say knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. I want to operate in good judgment. I wanna make good decisions. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna see uh, wisdom like we're gonna read about here in a second, uh, watch over me, wise choices that kind of guard my life well, how do we get there? Well, we get there as we begin to know the Holy One, which is to know God. In other words, it is through our worship of God and our humility, recognizing He's supreme, He's number one, and then it is through the relationship that we have through Him and learning who He is. Knowledge of Him, knowledge of the Holy One is what gives us good judgment. So wisdom starts with fearing God and knowing God results in good judgment. This is how we regret-proof our life, how we grow in wisdom. Wisdom, as we see, has so many incredible benefits. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. I love this word tune. The other day I was in the car and I don't remember what was going on, but I, I had to revert to some ancient technology called the radio. I mean, some of you younger than 40 don't know anything, or 30 don't know anything about this, but there's this thing that happens, these... these people actually somewhere in the world are broadcasting content through radio waves. How many of you have heard of this before? It's, a, it's, it's old technology, but it's good technology. Come on. I'm just teasing. But I had, to, I had to get on the radio and I was looking for whatever game I was trying to listen to. And I'm like hitting seek, you know, on the, on the radio. And I was tuning. It's what we call tuning a radio. I was trying to find the signal. And with a radio, when you get it tuned to the right station, when you get it onto the right source, you can receive the content that you're trying to enjoy or take, take in. And it's interesting because the, the, the writer of Proverbs is writing in a pre-industrial time, and so there is no radio station, at least that we know of. Um, but they're saying, tune your ears, like get your, your, your radio signal dialed in because there's a signal of wisdom that is being broadcast. But it requires a tuning in of the ears. It's interesting to me because we live in an age of distortion. You know, it used to be that you grew up in a community and it was localized and you sort of live with the people that you would live and die with. And, you know, you'd maybe live in a farming community in a rural area or you'd live in a city, but your neighborhood was the people that were around you. And those individuals would shape your worldview and they'd kind of give you an idea of what's right and wrong. And they'd maybe even introduce you to Jesus if you're Christians and they would help kind of build your vision of life. And you would trust people. They had a vested interest in seeing you succeed. It was a sort of a community-based thing. And now you fast forward to the age that we live in and we get all types of information from all types of sources and all different mediums. Like you can get on YouTube and learn about everything 
everything. And that's cool in one sense, but the problem is oftentimes you don't know the, the, the motivation behind the person sharing information with you. You get on Twitter and you read all these things and not only are there people saying things that, that maybe are, are different than our Christian worldview, but also there are people that legitimately are just trying to deceive and confuse. And so as a parent of three amazing children who I'm raising up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, I'm very conscientious of the fact that I have to help my children tune their ears to understand what wisdom is and what that radio station that's playing and the writer of Proverbs is trying to get us to, to understand this, that we have to think about the information that we bring in and the, the content that we bring in. He says, tune your ears to wisdom, concentrate on understanding, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Crying out is something you do when you are passionate. You know, today I was in my house and I got great revenge against my son, Jack. He's 10 years old. The delight of his life is to scare me anytime he can. Anybody else have kids that just think it's awesome to give their parent a heart attack regularly? It's like, bro, I don't even have health insurance. I can't afford to have a heart attack. So I've taught him CPR. We're good. Anyways, Jack is always jumping out. Dah! You know, and the, Jack wakes up early. So it could be 530 in the morning. So I come out of my room, you know, and I have to like, I have like my light night vision on. It's like a Tom Clancy novel up in the Schmelzer house, you know, walking through there and he jumps out. Well, today I went up to my office in our house and I don't normally go up there on Sunday. And so he didn't know I was there. So I'm in my office and I'm grabbing something and I'm standing in the light. I'm like not hiding and I'm not trying to scare him. And Jack comes around the corner and he goes, ah! you know, and there was this unbidden cry. Uh, and I just laughed, you know, as a father's right to do at the, you know, anyways, that might make me seem mean, but he deserved it. He's scaring me a lot. And I wasn't trying to scare him. It just happened. It was beautiful. And there's something about crying out. What is it? It's sort of this like cry of passion. It's almost unbidden. Like when you get scared or when you're delighted or like yesterday when, Aust when Shellstad, that player, hits the three and I'm like, yeah, that's why my voice is so hoarse today. It's not from loving Jesus and singing too loud in worship. It's from screaming at the duck game. And I couldn't help it. I cried out. There's a passion that comes. And this is the kind of passion and pursuit that we're called to have about wisdom. Okay, listen, he goes on. He says, search for them. Talking about wisdom and understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Well, I was convicted on Friday night because I felt like the Lord kind of poked, poked a, me in the heart a little bit when I was so sad about the ducks. And, and I didn't feel, you know, like condemnation, but I felt a little conviction because I realized I love college football so much. I'm actually probably more sad that we're not going to the playoffs than I am that maybe somebody wouldn't go to heaven. Do you know what I mean? And maybe for you, it's not sports. Maybe it's something else. Everybody has their own idol. You know, the thing that sort of takes you off, off track with God. Um, and that's not my only one. I have other ones too. But I was convicted and I just thought, you know, I need to get this in the proper place. And then we hear Bo, our quarterback after the game. And he just had such a great, if you heard his words, it was so good. He's just talking about there's the Lord, tomorrow I'm going to wake up. It stinks to lose, but the sun's going to shine and the Lord is on the throne. That's what Bo Nick said. Thank God for that kind of an attitude. So whether we win or lose a football game, there's the Lord's still on the throne. Amen. And I'm thinking about pursuit and I'm thinking about love and I'm thinking about this heart cry that the, the, the writer of Proverbs is trying to get us tuned into that our heart needs to care more about wisdom and understanding than we do about silver and gold and hidden treasures. 
that there should be inside of the follower of Jesus this new economy where we measure things differently. We go, what's actually more important than me making a bunch of money is connecting with God's word and connecting with God's truth and wisdom and understanding. It says, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He, he grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield. Listen to these benefits. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. Let me make a a comment here. God is more interested in changing your heart than directing the steps of your feet. Because the order of this is, is out of order to the normal human experience. So usually when we pray, we're like, God, could you tell me, should I marry this person or should I get this job or that job? Lord, should I move to this city or that city? And we want direction. Like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. How many of you prayed these kind of prayers? Give me, give me direction. But it starts with him giving us an understanding of what is right and just and fair. In other words, God wants to give you the type of heart that knows what to do, even if he's not directly telling you. Which makes sense because I want to raise my kids in the exact same way. I'm not going to be there every single moment of my children's life. At some point, they're going to move out of the house. They're going to get married, hopefully make lots of beautiful grandbabies. They're going to always be duck fans. They're going to walk in the way of the Lord. Praise God. I'm not letting any of that beaver fan or like husky fan get into their spirit. I'm just protecting and guarding them. Just guarding them. And I'm raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They can be beaver fans second, not first, but second. That's fine. That's fine. But, but not husky fans. No, 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 no. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm raising them in this way, but I'm not always going to be there for them to go, well, dad, what should I do? Dad, what should I do? What I want to do is have my, my word, my commands written on their heart, my values written on their heart. And this is what God wants to do with us. So when you're going, what do I do, God? Where do I go? You go, well, what would my father do? And I know what is right and what is just and what is fair. And so God wants to change that heart and get us, get us right on the inside. And then he directs us and wisdom gives us direction. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. That's a good promise. When you make wise choices, they watch over you. You're guarded. You're, you're, you're covered. Understanding will keep you safe. How do you regret-proof your life? You learn to be a person of wisdom. You walk in wisdom. You let God get into you, okay? Now, here's, here's a beautiful thing, and I'm going to hurry through this so we can go beat all the other churches to the best restaurants. All right. <laughs> wisdom is not hiding. I think for so many people, and I've even believed this, we think God is sort of hiding the good stuff in a secret room. You know, as if like at Joy Church, well, once you've been here 20 years, even though the church isn't that old, once you've been here five years, then we open up the secret room back here. You know, this is just a wall in case you were ever wondering. It's just a wall. The freeway's on the other side. There's secret things back there, but you don't want them. <laughs> Believe me, anything lives between the building and the freeway is just off limits or whatever, but that's weird. Anyways, <laughs> just bad stuff goes on. Anyways. <laughs> There's no secret room. There's nothing like, well, when you get to year five, then you can learn the secrets. No, like the secrets are all on the bottom shelf. Uh, God wants to share his heart of wisdom with you. And here's the, the cool thing. It says in Proverbs 1.20, wisdom shouts in the streets. Wisdom does not whisper. Wisdom shouts. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons? 
Will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I will share my heart with you and make you wise. God is not hiding himself from us in his will and his ways and his goodness. Wisdom is personified by the writer of Proverbs here as a woman who is in the street yelling. She's yelling, Tim, Tim, listen, Scott. He got screamed at in both services. Yeah. Jacob, wisdom is yelling like we're yelling at the duck game, you know, not, not whispering, screaming. How many of you know that oftentimes when we don't want to do what's right, we're actually not deceived or confused. We're covering our eyes and ears. And Jiminy Cricket is on your shoulder going, don't do that. You know, and, and wisdom is yelling. Oftentimes, you know exactly what is wise, what is right, what is good. But there's something in us that wants something else. But wisdom shouts. It's not hiding. God wants to share his heart of wisdom with us. So how do we access wisdom? I'm going to give you three things practically to let wisdom shout into your ear and help you and guard you and, and let wisdom's fruits be in your life. Okay. How do we listen to wisdom? Number one, God's word. This is the absolute number one, hands down, number one thing of a spiritual practice or discipline that I would encourage you to do every day if you do nothing else in your pursuit of God that you would give whatever it is, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to read the Bible and to read it and go, God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear. Let me read it and let what I see on this page not just sit there as dead words, but come in and live inside of me and change what I think, change what I believe and change me from the inside out. It says in the book of Psalms, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So many Christians are like, where's God? I, I, I can't perceive his movement in my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And I'm like, have you read? Are you making it a habit to feed on the word of God? And if you're not, that's the first step. I have a, a, a great pastor friend and he gave me the coolest uh, pastoral strategy I've ever heard. He said, you know, when I do church counseling, he's like, people come in my office and I always ask them, do you read your Bible every day? And if they say no, then I'm like, then go do that and come back. Because what problem am I going to be able to help them with if they literally will not just simply take the breadcrumbs of the word of God that are offered right away? And I was like, you're absolutely right. Because there is nothing I can say to you that will ever be better than what you read in the scripture. There's nothing no person can communicate to you or talk to you about better than what God wants to tell you and show you and reveal to you in his word. And so a daily habit of getting into the word of God is going to instantly make you a more wise person. Even the very pursuit even if you go, you know what, Pastor Jake, I haven't actually been able to read my Bible every day because I just, you know, slept in too late or I just wanted to do something else more or whatever. But even the desire to do it is going to make you a wiser person. Even the very like shifting of the satellite dish of your heart to go, I want to kind of get that signal. That's going to help you. So this is the number one thing. We want to feed on the word of God. We want to get into it. The number one thing, God's word. Okay, the second way we listen to wisdom is this, through good counsel. God has provided to us this beautiful organism that we call the church, the body of Christ, and it is a living, breathing thing. Now, I always tell this to people when I'm talking about church strategy and different things. I say church is, is difficult to sort of get our minds around because it's two things in one sort of a container. So churches are both organizations and organisms. 
The organizational side is the fact that we have a building, we have a staff, people work here, we have ministries that operate. Our organization is we have screen and we have a platform and we do things in a particular way and we're geographically located and all of that. And so we have an organizational structure, but that organizational structure is actually there to be the, the, the skeleton of the organism the living, breathing body of Christ, the church, which is really the thing, and it's you and me together, worshiping Jesus, fellowshipping together, serving God together, making a difference in the city, right? It's both of those two things together. And so God has given us the gift of the church. How do you know what is strategically valuable? It is that which your enemy will try to take away and attack. And what has the enemy tried to take away All the time, he always wants to defeat and destroy and eliminate the gathering together of God's people in a room together where imperfect people come together and worship and serve a perfect God and his presence is tangible and there is life and healing and wisdom and fellowship and community and shared life. The enemy wants to take that away. And so he lies and says, well, you can be a Christian by yourself on a golf course on a Sunday. You don't need to go to church. That's just for religious people. I'll hear people say to me, well, I'm just, I don't support organized religion. And I'll say, oh, so you're a supporter of disorganized religion. Well, no, I just think like everybody has their own, do you know what I mean? So what do you do? Do you go like out in a grove and like play a tambourine and like dance in circles, like disorganized? You know what I mean? Is that your religion? Because I like organized things. You know what I mean? Do you want to go to a disorganized restaurant where they don't wash their hands before they eat? Do you want to go to a disorganized football game where all the people have different ideas of the rules? Like, what, what disorganized thing do you really enjoy? Do you know what I mean? Is anybody else having a good time today? I'm having fun with this. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. So, well, I just, I'm against organized religion. Okay, so you want disorganized religion. Well, no, I just... I, and what they're reflecting is they've had some issues or whatever with the way things have been organized. The problem, though, is that you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater Because God uses this group of organized, broken people to serve each other and help each other. And so God brings us together with other people so that Proverbs 13, verse 20 can happen. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. God wants to get me around Scott and let Scott's wisdom kind of rub off on me. God wants to get me around Scott and let me rub off on Scott. The scripture says, iron sharpens iron. Amen? But if we get out of that environment then we are now lone rangers and we're outside of God's plan and we disconnect ourselves from a source of God's wisdom. Now, if you think that Joy Church is the perfect church, let me disabuse you of that notion. I am the pastor of this church, Bethany and I together. The elders of this church, we'd all tell you the same thing. This is not a perfect church because I go here. The minute a church has one member, it ceases to be a perfect church. Come on. So we don't come together because it's perfect or we're always wise or always doing things perfectly. No, we come together because that's what's commanded in Scripture. And the wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God says bring all these people together and in your loving and pursuing God together and you're serving together and sacrificing together, you're going to help each other. And so being a part of the church, the body of Christ, we can get around wise people and let them speak into our life. Again, like everything, it requires humility. Humility to say, I'm not perfect. I need, to, I need other people. I, I can't do everything. I don't know everything on my own. I need to depend on my brothers and sisters in the house of God. So get around good counsel. Okay, the third one is this. We need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. How do we access wisdom? How do we grow in wisdom and get the fruits of wisdom in our life? We need to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. This has been probably like the biggest, most important thing for me in my life, just 
in my own personal journey of following Jesus in the last couple of months has been in humility, just saying, Lord, I don't really want to drive anymore. Like I'm not getting there myself, you know, and I just need to be empty and humble and invite you to fill me. Galatians 5.16 says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. We're a spirit-filled church. And a spirit-filled church means that we have to be empty first so we can be filled. You can't be a spirit-filled church until you're a flesh-empty person. Does that, does that make sense? If the spirit of God is going to fill us, we need to be empty and, and humble. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm nothing in my own strength. Like, I'm not, I'm not wise. I'm not making good decisions. I, I tend to do what my sinful nature craves. Every once in a while, I muster up enough discipline to do the right thing, but then I go quickly back into the mud. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that I would be empty and that you would fill me so that I can follow your guidance. Because ultimately, what we need is a new heart. See, ultimately, what we need to walk as wise people is new desires, new, new hungers and thirsts, new appetites. There's a guy that I've been talking to recently, and a friend of mine, and he's recently become a Christian. And he said to me, it's so weird because I don't want the same stuff as much as I did before. And I'm like, bro, that's awesome. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Not, not just changing your outward behaviors, but changing your inward desires. And so ultimately to walk in wisdom, we get in the word, we get in community, good, good counsel in us, and then we surrender to the Holy Spirit and he begins to do the slow, often painful, but always effective renovation of our heart. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So surrender to the Holy Spirit is how we access wisdom. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that today you would let this word go into our hearts and find good soil, that it would be planted like a seed in that good, rich garden soil and produce good fruit in our lives, that, Lord, we would be wise people, not so we can say that we're wise, but so we can let wisdom guard over us. I pray that families would walk in wisdom with their children in their marriages and their friendships. Lord, I pray that every person here would walk in wisdom so that we can have a regret-proof life, that we don't live these lives of getting hurt, hurting you, hurting others, but Lord, we walk in wisdom and that we see the fruit of wisdom and the beauty of that come out of our lives. Lord, I thank you for your word today. Let it impact us and change us. I pray, Lord, that whatever the thing is that you want each of us as an individual to walk out with today, we would remember that, we'd hold on to it and we'd apply it in our life. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, real quick, if you just bow your head and close your eyes, I wanna give an opportunity for anybody here that wants to make the wisest decision you ever could make, which is to give your faith, give your life to Jesus Christ. So Jesus, when he was on planet earth, walking around in Israel, he, he told people the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was inviting them into God's kingdom, where God is king, where God's rule and reign is complete. And we bought into the lie as humans that we could be our own masters. And what ended up happening is we just became under the, the domain of Satan and we became slaves to sin. And so there's an invitation by the work of Jesus at the cross to receive God's payment for our sins and to join him in his kingdom, to take Jesus as your Lord, your King, your sovereign. And so today, if you're here and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to be part of God's family. I want to be part of God's kingdom. I want to leave my sin and I want to choose Jesus. I want to ask him to save me, to save me from my sins, to forgive me and to make me right with God and to give me a place in his kingdom. Would you just raise your hand so I can see? Just lift it up and I'm going to pray with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome.
Awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Good job. Good job. I'm proud of you. Okay, we're going to pray this together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I give you my attention and allegiance. I give you my affections and desires. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving your life for me at the cross. I receive you today and I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.